Hey, thanks, Ben and Sue. And uh, if you could keep the, that passage open, that's where we are today in our series in John, which links to the house group series. Um, I probably should have said one other thing about the Ukraine. That's the main thing is to open the door so they can come in. I left that bit out. So go, come in yourselves, go down the basement and open the side door so they can come in. And uh, we'll give them a padlock key and then we probably only have to open the padlock this week and then they can have a padlock key, can't they? But not a door key. But, yeah. Okay, so there we are. So John chapter 1, let's worship the Lord. What, um, we called this one, um, Jesus Knows Me, This I Love. So a little play on the old chorus. Um, and we've touched on Nathaniel before in Park End, but I don't think we've gone in, um, in detail. He's a belter. So um, question number one, who's the most important person you've ever met? <clears throat> Have a think about that. Um, I've told you before, somehow in some other sermon, I, um, I needed a job once. Uh, well, I still do need a job. But I needed a job when I was 16. And uh, the boss who was going to give me the job was probably the most important person I had ever met because he had the money that I needed to get my parents sort of off my case. And um, so I had to prepare for the interview what are you going to say? What are you going to wear? So went over it all the night before. Apparently you have to sit on your hands or not sit on your hands. Something, don't play with your hands. There are all these rules. And then um, the day came and uh, when he started speaking to me, I thought, well, I'll look like I'm interested and I'll write down some notes to make him feel that his wise words about the job and how I need to be really important to me and I, I need to take them in and instead of pulling out a pen <laughs> I pulled out a block of cheese uh, I've told you this before but it is linked to Nathaniel and uh, the, what happened was the night before my dad thought oh well Owen might get hungry during the interview process so he took my pen out and put some cheese in and wrapped in cling film and I didn't even I don't eat cheese like that that's the strangest bit of all never been a cheese man anyway I got the job even though I possibly blew it at that moment and they did call me cheese cheese boy for quite some time after and um, anyway I blew it but I still something good still happened and um, Nathaniel in the passage you've got in front of you pretty much blows it with Jesus, uh, but a good thing still happens. And um, it's funny being a minister because I meet lots of people and we get chatting about things, and then they always start dropping in the good things that they do in their lives. So if I go to football matches or the cinema with people or, I don't know, play snooker with people, just meet people, non-Christians, they ask me what I do and I say, and then they'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, and I um, helped a lady once across the road, or I give, I give money, and they tell me all the good things they've done as if that sort of um, God loves them because of it, and they're all right. Well, that's not, all, that's not the way to impress God. The problem with that is, if you think God loves you because you've been good, when you do do things wrong, which we do, you then start to think, well, God doesn't love me and I can't talk to him anymore until I start doing good things. And it's the, it's the opposite. I wish they'd tell me all the bad stuff they did and then I could say, yeah, me too. Isn't Jesus wonderful that he still wants to be our friend? And Nathaniel, he, has, he, he stuffs it up. Now, Nathaniel, um, 
he's part of the church. In your passage that you've just read, he's called the true Israelite. Now, there are a few true Israelites in Nathaniel's day. Some people would just go into church for the fun of it, and it wasn't about the coming Messiah. But there were some real deal believers in Nathaniel's day. And uh, like the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New, it goes a bit quiet. Uh, but there are still believers waiting for the Messiah to come. Zechariah, Elizabeth, Simeon, and Anna, they've been prophesying about the coming Messiah in the temple for decades up to this point that we've just read. So there are people really excited. I read Deuteronomy 16 this morning. Moses describes the, the day, the place, and the time of the coming Messiah's suffering. Listen to this one. You may not sacrifice the Passover within any other of your cities, Sacrifice it in the place that the Lord chooses where his name will be. You will sacrifice the Passover at evening when the sun sets. So it's like just as Jesus was dying, the Passover lamb in the city of God where his name was. And there were people really excited about Jesus coming. And uh, they're aware and they want to know when. When is he going to come, the Savior of the world? And lo and behold, here's verse 45. Uh, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, he's here. And then Nathanael has one of the job interview moments where he messes up. Look at his response. Nazareth? Can anything good Come from there, Nathaniel asked. Nazareth? you telling me my Savior's going to come from Nazareth? That's like if he came from Swansea City, Cardiff City fans. You just weren't expecting it. God should have done it a bit better than that. Or if you're from Swansea, the Savior of the world comes from Cardiff. I remember going to Swansea Uni and I lost all my Cardiff friends. Now I've come back to Cardiff, I've lost all my Swansea friends. So I lived 10 years in the valleys, in the middle, tried to make new friends. It's like, you just don't come from Nazareth, those type of places. It's like common place, common people, no way. So he's skeptical, and in other words, um, Park End, he doesn't worship straight away. He's dubious. And um, I'm preaching to people today, maybe listening at home as well, often me. We've got reservations and questions about God that we need ironing out before we um, come to him and follow him. Well, here's a tester. Jesus of Nazareth can rescue us all now and of our sins and death and bring us to God. Well, there are a number of people listening who didn't worship at that statement and it was like, yeah, okay, well, that's relatively interesting, but not as interesting as the Formula One, which starts at half past two. Uh, and, and it's not that interesting because... I've got questions that I want to ask God. Reservations, and so I'm only going to give him an hour a week. That's it. Until he impresses me more than doing that whole Nazareth thing. And in fact, I'm going to go year to year and not really ever give much more to him than I'm doing now just because he's not worth it. He's from Nazareth. I've got some issues. So, this one's a great one for the Nazareths in the room, which is often me, maybe it's you at times. We want to give God a grilling until we really 
follow him. But, here's verse 47, because things take a slightly different turn. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here's a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. So, Nathanael comes up to, well, he thinks he's going to come up to Jesus, all his problems in hand. Right, I'm going to give you a grilling because you let this happen in my life and this person died and my cat got ill and I haven't got enough money or I'm not the, I don't look the way I am and I don't know who I am and I don't like church and those people over there and you're going to have it. And as he's walking up with all that stuff, Jesus sees him first and says, oh, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And just picture his face. It drops and he starts to think, well, which one of you lads told him who I was? How come he knows, A, that I'm an Israelite, and B, that there's no deceit in me? How come? I've never met him. What's all this about? He knows exactly who I am on the inside. You know, who rumbled me? Who went there last night and told him? By the way, no deceit in Nathaniel doesn't mean that Jesus thinks he doesn't have any sin, because Jesus says we all have sin. It means one of two things. Number one, Jesus might be saying, there is a person who's justified. He's the real deal. He's got some problems, but he's actually in the courts of heaven. He's declared one of my people because he's trusting in my coming. He's the real deal. All Christians this morning in the courtrooms of heaven, as we heard last Sunday, are pronounced sinless in one way, legally, because Jesus is representing us and he's taken all that away. It might mean that, or it might mean this. He's really, really blunt. He calls a spade a spade. In him there's no deceit. You know where you stand with him. And it's linked to him saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? Like, I've got a sister. If you say, do I look good in this? She's going to say no. You don't go to certain types of people for compliments. You don't go to Nathaniel. He calls a spade a spade. Um, in fact, sometimes I come downstairs, ready, dressed for church, dressed myself. One look at Rita, the finger, go back up there. You don't look good. Get the match. Thank you, Sue. Some pity at last. The pink doesn't go with the orange, Owen. Get back upstairs. There's no deceit. Whatever it is, though, with Nathaniel, the point is this. Um, Jesus peers right into his soul and knows exactly who he is. And Nathaniel, a chap who thought that Jesus is going to get grilled, I'll give him a go, I'll give him more than an hour if I find him acceptable, learns very quickly in this passage that he's in way over his head with Jesus. Who knows his deepest and most inner condition? He sees Nathaniel when he gets scared. He sees Nathaniel when Nathaniel cries. He sees Nathaniel when he feels dejected, alone, worried, when he worships in church, when he was saved, when he sins, again and again, he sees it all. And with the authority of the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, I can officially reveal that he sees us right now as well. And there's lots of people in the room, but he sees you, and he sees me. And this is a mini-meeting with God before the final meeting with God and there are no meetings after that and we're to be ready for that big day 
by getting ready today. And there's a standard in heaven for God to be pleased with us. And do you know what that is? It's perfection. Because in heaven, there's no sin. Because that would ruin it. And now how are we doing in that light? As we were going to give God a grilling, oh how the tables have turned. Jesus sees exactly who we really are. And it's not so great news. And that's why the psalmist writes this. If you mark our iniquities, who can stand? Who can stand before God and has got a good record? The way we get out of that and make ourselves feel like we're doing all right is by creating something that I call local standards of holiness. Where you look in the pew to the person next to you and you say to yourself, well, I'm doing better than them, so maybe he does like me after all. But the Bible doesn't talk about local standards of holiness. It talks about standing in front of Jesus as the standard, as if he was sitting next to you. I mean, imagine that a snowstorm fell on this morning and we were stuck here for three weeks with each other in this room. All standards of holiness would go out of the window. You think we'd get on? I remember once when my friend was losing weight and uh, he thought he was doing all right until he went to Center Parks to the swimming pool and there was a swimsuit model there at the same time as him. And he suddenly realized that his standards, and he was doing well, weren't all that great compared to a higher standard with a chiseled body next to him in Center Parks. Well, here's another way of spelling it out. <clears throat> I used to keep fish, and you have to start off with the little fish before you can put the big fish in, because the little fish harden the water and get things going. And we started with neon tetras. We love neon tetras, and we used to look at them as a family, and look at the neon tetras, and we'd name them. And the neon tetras thought they were it, the local standards of beauty. And then, one day, we introduced the silver shark. Yeah, yeah, the silver, it's not what you think. I mean, he's only about that big. But they've got a little fin, see, so they're called silver sharks. And in comes a shark, and now all attention were off the tetras, as the tetras saw what a real fish is. And when we had guests and the shark got bigger and bigger and he was about that big, everyone looked at the shark. And it was just an eye-opener for the tetras, I'd imagine, didn't ask them, but I'd imagine that they realized there are other fish in the pond that can be slightly more impressive than they are. And here is the standard of heaven, from heaven to planet earth. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that comes crashing down upon Nathaniel and maybe us this morning as we gather. As you realize when you look at Jesus, sin isn't just breaking a rule. Jesus positively loves his Father with everything he's got. And that's what the heavenly life is. It's not just that we break rules. It's that we positively have disinterest in God. And that's the tragedy. We say, I won't obey you. I don't want to be like you. I want my own way. That's the tragedy. You know those talks where we say, God knows every hair on your head. He knows you through and through. I said to Rita this week, isn't it stunning that when God does say those things in the Bible, it's in a positive way to encourage us. Because I always think, that's really frightening that he knows us 
everything about us. How on earth does Jesus manage to turn that into a positive statement? Because the most horrifying news in the Bible is this. God is good. That one always frightens me. Because we're not, really. And that goodness is peering right into Nathaniel. Jesus sees him. So surely this is the most depressing sermon that we've ever heard in Park End Church, right? Wrong. Because... This is an amazing story, because the, part, the point of the story of Nathaniel, it's written here for good things, is God saw him through and through with all of his doubts and issues and problems, and it was the best news that Nathaniel ever had. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not for perfect people. So when you meet me in the streets... You don't have to tell me all the good things you've done because that's not what the gospel is. Although I'm glad you do good things. Jesus comes for sinners, flops, angry people, inconsistent people, hypocritical people, merely religious people. And he lines them up and he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this passage shows just how glorious a thing it is that God knows everything about you. Because if you knew everything about me, you'd write it down in a little mental book, and then you'd bring it back up against me the next time I offend you. And I would do the same to you. Because we do that type of thing. But here, the Lord Jesus knows everything about Nathaniel. But look at the voice of Nathaniel. Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. That is not the language of a sinner who is afraid of God in the wrong way. It's not the language of someone who thinks this God is going to hold it against me one day. He's going to use it against me. I can't trust Him fully. He says, Rabbi, Son of God. It's a statement of love and bond and unity. This is a statement of a sheep who has met his shepherd. Maybe for the first time. Maybe it was just a deepening of his faith. Maybe here someone will call out to Jesus for the first time. Maybe we will call out to him again with all of our sins and know his cleansing for the hundredth time. He sees us all and he calls us to Park End Church this morning. Now, why don't we come? Why don't we come? Why do the weeks roll on and we don't quite ever come fully? Well, it was 10 years of marriage between me and Mrs. Batstone last uh, week. Thank you very much. And we realized we got married the same month as my first full-time pastorate. So for our whole married life, we've been trying to serve um, people, non-Christians and Christians alike. That's what we've done. What a blessing that is. And the reasons that people don't come, as I've been reflecting on them, particularly churchgoers, not often, it's not often just outright sin. Some of us just aren't always outright explicit sinners. We have really deep, complex, guilty worries why we don't come to God fully. Anger issues, sadness issues, confusion. It's a massive one for churchgoers. We never lied growing up because mum told us not to. We didn't watch EastEnders because mum told us what to, not to. We didn't drink all that much. We didn't do the drugs like the people in school did. 
We didn't date that person. We were generally a good person. If mum told me I can't go out with that person, we generally didn't. But something still lacks. It's like that stuff doesn't get deep down. And now we're in a weird position where we come within the sound of preaching and we quite like it, sort of. We know where to find things in the Bible roughly. Um, We may have even got teary-eyed in a meeting, say, 10 years ago or a youth camp or something. But as the months rolled on, we still went to sleep and cried quietly to ourselves. Still something wasn't right. And we got to Leviticus in our daily readings, and we didn't realize it's actually the best book in the Bible. And we closed the book, and it's been gathering dust in our houses. And it's just something not quite right. They're like a longing for stuff in the world that's still there. We might even bring our children to church because we know it's sort of good. So we'll keep one foot in church and and there's this preacher and he says things that bothers me until Monday morning. But is it real? And he's going to turn my life around and I'd have to stop some stuff. And so, those complications of life, Mr. Preacher. You call me out to meet Jesus again, but you've got no clue about what I really go through. It isn't me, Owen. It's not me. It's for weirdos like you. It's not for me. I sin all the time. And when I sin, I don't go to the Bible and pray about it. I just get drunk or I just binge on Netflix. That's me. I'm alone. Nobody gets me. So the church gang isn't quite for me. Right. So we wrap up the story of Nathaniel by saying this. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ sees it all. And he's brought you here to say this morning, come to me. Leave it with me and follow me. Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree, even before Philip called you. I saw you this morning in your house. I saw you on Wednesday where you were planning to come here, and here you are. I've come for people just like you, to share my righteousness with you. I die for people like you. My friend was in a meeting once, he wasn't a Christian, and the preacher was hammering about sin, and then my friend's head dropped, and he said, oh man, I'm such a hypocrite, he said it under his breath, and the preacher said, does anyone feel like a hypocrite? Praise God, Jesus died for hypocrites, and my friend was saved in that meeting. My other friend wrote a book 20 years ago, and he doesn't like it anymore, because in it, he He portrays God as a judge who says, you may go. But now he says, the God of the gospel is actually this. God says, you may come. It's not about being let off the hook. It's about coming to the Father. In 2004, I'd imagine a a conversation in heaven went like this. The angels saying, lads, Jesus has done it again. What's he done? He saved another one. Who's he saved? Owen. Well, from Cardiff. Yeah, that one. It never ceases to amaze me just how much he saves. That's what happened in 2004 in February. He called Matthew, taxman. He called Moses, a murderer. He called David, the adulterer. And he's calling us now. And Charles Spurgeon once said this, I thought I was seeking the Lord. I had no idea he was seeking me. Jesus knows me. This I love. And so today as a group now, 
we give our rudest, quietest, most secret thoughts to the Lord Jesus in our seats right now because they're not a reason to hide but a reason to come to the God who wipes it all away and carries us home. I read a few months ago a story in a newspaper and a man in London, he was walking home from work and he suddenly fell into cardiac arrest and someone walked past him. This man was walking to his 10 million pound house in London and he saw the man and he saw that the man was in trouble and he was frothing at his mouth and all the stuff so the man rang an ambulance and called the ambulance and the ambulance came and the man's on the floor's life was saved because of what this rich person does. Well, turns out that rich man was Dustin Hoffman and there was a picture of the guy in the newspaper whose life had been saved by Dustin's actions and he was holding up a little Dustin Hoffman mug and some DVDs and longing to meet his hero but Dustin didn't go. And um, well, all of us can meet our hero this morning, the one who saves our life. And uh, we don't have to hold up a mug or DVDs. We just come as we are and uh, we get the gift of salvation and love and the Holy Spirit. And that's how amazing Jesus is. And that's the Jesus of Nathaniel. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to sing the praises of God as we close.